Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. Boston Public School teachers provided the gift of learning to students, guiding them towards a love of reading at their annual book fair. On Saturday, Boston teachers braved the rain to bring the joy of reading to BPS students. The 10th annual Back to School Fair at Boston Teachers Union in Dorchester distributed more than 40,000 books at no cost and over 400,000 over the past decade. Reading opens doors, it provides opportunities for kids, it teaches them about new places, it makes them excited to learn new things. Um, when kids read fiction and stories, it develops a passion inside of them and that passion drives them. I see middle schoolers who struggle with reading and doors are closed for them. They can't see all the opportunities. They haven't been exposed to things that they need in life. Books are kind of a huge part of their curriculum and actually their growth. I mean, a lot of kids are too immersed in technology, uh, games, computer games and whatever. And the whole idea of reading books, it seems to have kind of disappeared over the wayside. And I think it's very important that kids get back to that grassroots way of actually kind of immersing themselves and understanding and what a book means and getting the experience instead of kind of just looking at a computer. That doesn't help them. Massachusetts generally scores higher than most parts of the country for literacy, but these numbers have stagnated over the past 25 years, and more dramatic spikes have been seen since COVID. City leaders and educators hope this weekend's book giveaway rekindles students' relationships with reading. We love our teachers, we love Boston Public Schools, and this focus really connects with all the work that's happening from the ground up within the district equitable literacy and really thinking about how reading is about much more than just getting up to grade levels by a certain grade and measuring how you can do on certain exams in third grade or assessments. This is about preparing you for life, for being able to think critically and communicate with your friends, your family, and to take in everything that this city has to offer. Across the nation, while public schools have increasingly faced censorship in reading materials, the BTU is promoting literacy and diverse cultural narratives for BPS students. We do believe in culturally relevant curriculum, culturally relevant books, and real history. And that's important to engaging our students in a love of reading. Because as educators, we know that in order to become better readers, you have to read a lot. And in order for get students to read a lot, they have to find books and titles and stories that reflect their own identities and experiences and speak to them. And that's what engages our learners. And so that's an important message of today, too, is the importance of, of course, literacy, uh, but books that really uh, reflect the experiences of our students. And if they accomplish their mission of instilling the joy of reading in these kids, perhaps their future may be that much brighter. The Roxbury Community College staff was excited to show the stock shelves at their newest food pantry that aims to provide nutritional equity for all its students. Last Friday, the ribbon was cut and the doors were finally opened at the Roxbox, a new food pantry at Roxbury Community College that will change the lives of students who experience food insecurity. 
student hunger is a real thing. We know from USDA that one in eight kids in the U.S. is facing hunger, and it impacts kids ranging from kindergarten all the way up to community college. And it's so challenging for kids to concentrate in school and to succeed when they're coming to school with a hungry belly. Um, and we know that lack of food is closely tied to lack of opportunity. RCC educators know that when students lack access to meals and proper nutrition, it hurts their ability to excel in the classroom. Hungry students can't learn, and, and we've also learned that it's not always the rigors of an academic program that can cause students to stop out but oftentimes it's basic food insecurity, housing insecurity, lack of affordable childcare that often cause our students to stop out and derail their dreams of post-secondary education. With shelves fully stocked and helpful Roxbox staff ready to assist, RCC's focus is on student success through helping hands and full bellies. When I had food insecurity, I couldn't focus. Um, I went on a safe mode um, and I completely blanked out. I was just thinking about how am I going to eat in the next 40 minutes? What am I going to eat today? I also have a daughter. How am I going to feed my daughter? Um, and the difference now that I don't have food insecurity, it's that I could focus in my study and know that I am safe and my daughter has something to eat so I could be able to have better grades. It does not make us feel good to know that students are experiencing hunger. Hunger, you cannot really concentrate, you can't do your work, you, you're, not, you're not functioning at your best when you're experiencing hunger. And so we realize that while we feed the student, that it also moves out into the family members as well, so that we have opportunities for them to take something home. If this is the one place that they'll get a meal, then we have chances for them to take things home and to prepare at home and to come back to school the next day and to be excited about being here. On Tuesday, the Massachusetts Organization for Addiction Recovery celebrated their 33rd annual Recovery Day celebration in an inspiring demonstration of strength in downtown Boston. Grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There are brothers and sisters. There are daughters and sons. And Tuesday, they stood proudly with each other in solidarity, recognizing National Recovery Month in Boston. I love myself today. I couldn't say I love myself back 38 years ago when I was using every day and drinking every day. I had no self-esteem and today I don't even feel like the same person I was back then. Um, I have two grown children who I raised clean and sober and they're wonderful young adults today. I am a proud mother. Um, I'm a successful photographer. I love my life. I'm a homeowner. I have a life that I never in a million years thought I would ever have. The biggest reason for me being in recovery too is I got custody of my son at 18 months and now he's 17 years old and he's a big inspiration. He's in his senior year of high school and being a single dad in recovery motivates me even more and now I speak and help other fathers that are in recovery try to get their kids back. 
More and Friends 33rd Recovery Month Celebration Day highlighted hope and transformation at the Parkman Bandstand. Attendees walk through downtown, raising awareness of the hold of the addiction as they fight to end stigma of the disease. My job before being commissioner of the Department of Public Health was as a clinician taking care of people with substance use disorder. And I think the bravest thing they could do was walk into my office and say that they were interested in recovery. I think it's incredibly hard to deal with the external stigma of substance use disorder, but even more so difficult to deal with the internalized stigma of substance use disorder, what we as a society have implanted inside of people. And I think choosing recovery, choosing to move in that direction is one of the bravest things that people can do. Arriving on the other side of addiction is not easy but it's possible with the right support and tremendous sacrifice. And many recovery leaders know intimately just what it takes to beat addiction. As a person in long-term recovery from addiction, I haven't had a drink or a drug since 1981. And I understand and know and have felt the pain of being so close and, and so troubled by addiction. And then step at a time, um, taking it, getting to the point where you can be able to feel pain and know it's okay, you're going to get through it. And also to feel, feel happy that I can pay my bills, I can, I can live a life, I can be the executive director of more, I can do this and represent people who really want to put a face on recovery. Because if we are visible, vocal, we're going to prove that recovery is valuable. Wherever you are in recovery, keep moving forward and know there are people behind you. September is Suicide Prevention Month. Nearly 2,000 people gathered in Artisani Park on Saturday to celebrate the lives of those lost to suicide and provide support for those struggling. BNN's Alex Dowd was there. This wall is covered in ribbons holding messages to loved ones. Samaritans, a group working to prevent suicide in Massachusetts, set it up at their prevention 5K. Runners made teams, set up tents, and wore shirts to remember their loved ones. Ruben Azokar is running for his brother, Ricardo. Uh, I lost my brother by suicide in 1997, the year we moved to Boston, because we yeah. used to run together, uh, and so running was something that linked uh, the three males in the house, and you know, I needed it to cope with his death. The Centers for Disease Control says that suicides are at an all-time high, and though men are almost 50% of the population, they make up 80% of suicide deaths. Casey Maitland is the chief clinical officer of Samaritans. You know, one of the biggest uh, risk factors for suicide is a loss, loss of connection to something. We often see um, with men in middle age or older men that they're losing connection to work, to children, to spouses, to things like that. Um, also, men use more lethal means. She hopes that this event can help people like Ruben and encourage others. I get a little blue anyway, but you know, mostly it's a celebration of life and a and a moment to share with people who have gone through the same. The Massachusetts government's suicide prevention program offers resources specifically for men. Mass Men offers anonymous mental health surveys as well as resources for a healthier life. For BNN, I'm Alex Dowd. 
Sabrina Aviles is an award-winning independent filmmaker, educator, and the founder and executive director of Cinefest Latino Boston. As a first-generation daughter of Puerto Rican and Dominican immigrants, she sees her life reflected in the stories she documents about Latinx communities. Most recently, she was awarded a 2023 Brother Thomas Fellowship and is renowned for her PBS series, Latino Americans, which won a Peabody Award in 2012. We invited Sabrina into the studio to discuss Cinefest Latino Boston and how amplifying Latinx voices can uplift communities. Enjoy the interview. Can you talk a little bit about why it was important for you to create this festival featuring all Latino filmmakers? Uh, when we think of New England, when we think of Boston, we normally don't think of Latinos. And I think what the pandemic brought to light that not only were we here, but many of us are essential workers and we are the backbone of this economy. So when we think of New England, we don't think of Latinos, but we still are here contributing to the economy through our work, through our culture. Um, and so it's important that a city as vibrant as Boston and that claims to be diverse, it is diverse, even though it's marred with its history about around diversity issues, um, it's important to have that sort of reputation, re, um, representation in the limelight and let people know that we're here, we're not going anywhere, and we actually are a, an essential part um, and uh, an essential part of the economy and the culture of New England. Hmm. And looking through the, the trailer for the festival, it showed some really beautiful images, some incredible films. Can you talk about the diversity um, and some of the countries that are represented? Yeah. So um, the wonderful thing about our film festival is that uh, between my program director and I, I come from a film background. I am a film independent filmmaker um, by trade. and. Um, but I'm very aware of what's going on in this country in terms of the industry and Latino voices being represented. Um, Isabel, who is the programming director, she is from um, she is also a working industry professional um, based out of Ecuador, and she's very tapped into what's happening in Latin America. So between her curation and my curation, we have come up with a really, I think, a really wonderful, diverse, as in diverse group of Latino and Latin American voices, um, and in, in, in a couple of cases, even from Spain, um, where we um, represent a lot of the countries that normally you may not see in Latino film festivals. Um, countries like, uh, you know, we are. Mexico is by default always represented, but then we have places like Peru, Colombia, Panama for the first time, um, Cuba, Ecuador. Mm. Um, so I, I think that it gives a really nice balance about what is going on here in terms of the industry um, and a peek into um, the types of films and subject matters that are being covered in Latin America. So I'm very proud of that, um, and that diversity within our diverse community of, of Latinos and Latin Americans. Beautiful. And uh, as you said, you are a filmmaker yourself. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the curation process of choosing these films? So we go into it every year. We don't go into it saying we want we want our the theme of the festival to be that. We kind of let the 
the festival curate itself. So we have, um, we have submissions um, where people submit their films. And then I curate with a group of uh, re reviewers. They do sort of the first pass where they watch the film. Several people watch um, each watch, the film don't get watched once, each film gets watched by several people. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of grade it on a one to ten scale and recommend that, you know, why they would recommend it for the festival or why they may not recommend it, what didn't work. And at that point, um, then it gets to uh, Isabel and me and a couple of other programming assistants um, where we then sort of narrow it down, take that recommendation, uh, recommendation in. But then we're also looking for how many countries are represented. What are there any films that have kind of a, a narrative thread that would fit into the curation? Um, and, and for me, it's also important to always include films around arts and culture because that is a great part of who we are and in many cases people are exposed to Latin American culture for the first time mm. through some sort of art form. So, so those are sort of our criteria and then where we see um, holes if you will, you know, for example, there's all, it's always documentary he heavy in our film festival. Um, and we may not have a lot of feature length fiction. For, so those we go out and we see what is out there, what has been in other film festivals, what has been in Sundance, what has been at Berlin, what has been at Rotterdam, what has been at TIFF, um, and, and see whether those films would fit into kind of our checklist for that year, if you will. All right. And who are some of the filmmakers that you're excited to introduce to Boston? Wow. Um, there are, so it's really funny. There's a couple of filmmakers um, that uh, we're excited because they've chosen to have their Boston premiere uh, here. One of them is Michelle Stevenson, and she's um, half Panamanian and half Haitian, but she was one of two of the directing, she and her husband directed, co-directed a wonderful film called Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni story. Mm. And, um, and even though the protagonist is African-American and a lot of people look at that through sort of the African-American experience, um, first of all, I brought on Lisa Simmons to partner with me in presenting the film. Um, because the, uh, the, the messages of the film are really universal and something that would apply not only to BIPOC audiences, but I think to all audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so she's one person and she, you know, she, we're actually premiering in Boston with that film, so super excited about that. Um, another film that I think is, you know, aside from our, also our opening night film, La Pecera, which is also another Sundance selection, um, there's two coming home films. Um, one is a feature, one is a short. An alum of uh, um, of the festival, actually, they're both alums of the festival. Um, they uh, one is a short from Ecuador, and um, he is he is actually presenting his film in Boston for the first time after having premiered at. Um, Tribeca, mm -hmm. and then a wonderful filmmaker. Um, she was at Sheffield DocFest, which is one of the most prestigious um, documentary film festivals in the world. She premiered her film called All the Flowers, Todas las Flores, mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, the filmmaker is named Carmen Oquendo Villar, and it's especially um, wonderful because she lived here in Boston for 16 years, so she has very close ties to Boston. And we worked at a previous festival together, and she has chosen our humble little festival. She has chosen our humble little festival to make her U.S. premiere in the United States, and it is about um, transgender sexual workers in Colombia. Mm -hmm. So it is a really powerful film, a film that I know that took her about 16 or 17 years to make. And so I'm really proud and happy that she's chosen to make her official U.S. premiere at our festival. So That's so exciting. Sounds like incredible labors of love that are included. Yeah, most of most independent filmmaking, I think, is is um, is first and foremost motivated by that, by love, by passion about telling a specific story. Unfortunately, for many of us, it's not sustainable. But um, I, you know. I respect the process being a filmmaker myself and I hope that the experience for the filmmakers and the audiences that participate in Cinefest that is worthy, um, as we say in Spanish, is digno of the amount of work that was put into making these films. So. Cinefest Latino Boston has partnered with venues Coolidge Corner Theater, the Museum of Fine Arts, Arts Emerson at the Emerson Paramount Theater, and Civic Pavilion at Boston City Hall Plaza for the showing of these great films. For additional information on the festival, you can visit cinefestlatino.com. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. That's our broadcast. We leave you this evening with a selection from Songs of Life by string quartet group Shelter Music Boston. The musicians performed Wednesday at St. Cecilia's Parish and one of several concerts held in homeless shelters, recovery sites, and affordable housing communities in Boston. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you next Friday.